Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. I've been struggling thinking of what to tell you this week. It's always, it's, it's often a struggle to think about what it is that I want to share and what the point of this is. So today, today I want to meditate on something that I've been kind of just thinking about and not actually tell you a thought, just tell you a story. And this kind of ties in with something I've had happen recently today. Um, and I'll describe, I guess I just might as well describe it. Rook to B3, check. I had to then move my king to, I believe it was A5. And his A4 pawn blocked his rook as he took my A3 pawn. I moved my king then to b5, which was shielded once more from his rook because of a pawn on... No, it was it would have been b6. Yeah, moved my king to b6. Um, thank you. Uh, because of his b5 pawn. So he has two pawns, a pawn on b5 and a pawn on a4. If you don't know I'm talking about chess, you might be confused. If you want, get out of board and then keep going. So his rook is on a3. He has a pawn on a4. He has a pawn on b5 b5 and my c5 pawn is blocked from going forward because of his bishop on c6 now the bishop on c6 is defending his d5 pawn but uh i have a pawn on e5 and he has a pawn on e6 the only other pieces on the board at this moment right now are my bishop on f4 and my rook on f2 and so as I move my king to b6 and attack his unprotected bishop, he moves it behind the king, oh, right, his king, which is unfortunately placed on e7. And he moves the bishop to e8. Mate in three. Chess was a big part of my life growing up. It was a really entertaining uh, community aspect in my clan, uh, my home. My father taught me how to play and encouraged me to continue getting good at it. He got us plenty of resources to study strategies and tactics and openings, and, uh, I, and I loved to go into them. I didn't go into them nearly as often as I should have, but then he also dedicated a lot of his time on Sunday evenings, driving us all about an hour every night, every Sunday night, to go play chess in the next town over, well, a little bit more than a town, the, ne the nearest city that had a chess club. And so we would drive all the way there for a couple hours of chess, a couple hours of learning and growing and getting better, and drive back. And they were good opportunities to spend time with one another, and I hope he enjoyed it unwinding on Sunday evenings, but well, I remember those those games and a couple of twins who we would play against they were they were fantastic they were really good and they would push each other because they were twins so they'd constantly push each other to get better but well the four of us or at least the three of us who were particularly uh inclined to chess would compete frequently it was a big big enjoyment big big relaxer but that wasn't the really fun part the, the real fun wasn't traveling, 
spending time with each other and playing chess. No, it was the tournaments. It's, it's almost irrational to get up with your four kids at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Bake, cook some eggs, some boiled eggs, hard-boiled eggs. Start making some lunches, some sandwiches. Oftentimes, it'd have to be a PBJ because, you know, the cheese would just go bad. Not go bad, but it would just get warm. And Well, I never liked warm cheese, so PBJs it was. Pack a lunch for the first time. I mean, you really don't do that in the everyday because you're homeschooled, but, well, you pack your lunch. and So by about 6.30, 6.45, you've got them waking up at last. You know, the kids are up and moving, and the lunches are getting ready and prepared. You start putting them to work. I remember vividly helping out pack the pack the spaces. I always loved the mornings. I could never get to sleep once I was awake. And it was always such excitement, such beautiful scenery that we would end up driving by. Well, at first we had to get in the car. That was always a challenge. Packing all the kids into the van, making sure everybody had all their food, and all their materials that they needed. And if they wanted to bring a chess set or if they needed to bring a, uh, well, there wasn't much else to bring, a book book and probably some Latin homework, honestly. Knowing me, there was a lot of Latin homework that didn't get done, that should have gotten done, but it didn't get done. So in the wee hours of the morning, probably about 7.15 at this point, you head out. And there were about three different regions that we ended up going to, but the one that I remember probably the most fondly, well, okay, I can't, I take the, I can't take pick favorites, but the the game memory that I have probably most vividly was down in a little place called the Tri-Cities. And so as we, we pick up our drive, well, if it's this time of year, by that time, 7.15 in the morning, the sun's maybe just barely coming up. And you start driving, driving down into the the open plain. You, so you, you start off on the Great Plateau and Start going down toward the river, and the great Columbia River Gorge opens up in front of you. But you can't see the river, because it's shrouded in mist. And so you descend into that fog, and the sun disappears and vanishes. And in the chill morning, you can't actually see down the river. You can just see maybe barely just across it. But the hills that, that roll along on either side just fill your, your mind with imagination of well, what could be on the other side of those apple orchards. So you keep driving, you maybe see a couple of cars coming coming by, but it's it's eight o'clock on a Sunday Saturday morning. Who's gonna be driving? Well, a few people here and there. You drive past some familiar locations, some poplar trees on the left, and you start to lose the apple orchards, but the fog starts to lift and the sun starts shining. And then there's a bridge bridge across that mighty river and you go across that and it's empty flat land nuclear testing zone well or not testing but at least development refinery that uh hanford wasteland a big empty void that you just drive by and you just keep going and over time you develop familiarity with some of the official roads you know ah there so we're this we're at this road ah we're at that road but the rolling hills that pervade that beautiful countryside 
keep coming and getting closer on the uh, on each side. You have a couple of smaller mounds that we're pretty sure were uh, burial mounds. But couldn't couldn't quite couldn't quite be totally sure, but seemed seemed like the right size. As you keep going, you finally exit that uh, that great wasteland and come up with the old highway right beside you. You twist your way up to the top before descending once more, slowly into the the valley where, well, civilization finally finally appears. As you're twisting by in a small small mini dam, you know the the suburban ish. I mean, you can't really call it suburban. It's it's like rural, rural city outskirts more so, which is far from suburban in reality. But it's the suburban. Uh, it's it's what rural towns have for suburbia. Um, and you pass through that and you keep going and finally, finally you reach the heartland where you can get on a short highway drive, get off into the back roads suddenly. Back roads of the city, which are the city streets, the residential area. And you pop through a few residential zones and take a right. Liberty Christian high school no elementary school liberty christian elementary school that's what it was if the weather was good enough you'd maybe see a couple of kids out front with a basketball playing in the playing in the yard or if it was late earlier in the year or later in the year you know maybe a football hopefully it was sunny at this point i mean sometimes it was cloudy but somehow it turned out to mostly be sunny so you'd pull in Besides a whole bunch of other families, and pack all these kids now. In all, all the family, all the clan now needs to roll into the high school, er, elementary school. Ah, I keep getting that wrong. And so you find your spot, and they've got a nice little, nice little place there that you can set your 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 gear as you go outside. Maybe wiggle around a little bit because the kids are antsy. Frankly, I remember over in Spokane, a little place called Deer Park. That was really, that memory was a lot better, more, uh, well, not better, but I remember the, the waiting room a lot more vividly there. They just split a gym and had a whole bunch of cafeteria tables, but it didn't seem like it. It always seemed more official and more more real. But back in, back in the Tri-Cities, you start having to get your head screwed on straight probably had enough to eat at this point have a little bit of breakfast on the road and thrown out the garbage the whole whole uh, car smells like boiled eggs now but it's not a bad smell hard boiled eggs but the games are going to be finally posted eventually right you have to check in first and sit and so by the time it's around well 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock probably um, no 10 o'clock you finally got your gamut of games. You finally know who you're playing and where you're playing. See, because you have a little ranking that you earn over the course of the seasons and the years that you play. And so everybody at the beginning, once they've all checked in, is lined up based on their rating and paired against another player, another set of players. Uh, well, another player, first round, right? Oh, I'm so rusty on this. You find your first round match. They're supposed to be, if you're a good player, much worse than you, or if you're a bad player, much better than you. 
The idea is, if that first round you match the best players against the worst, odds are the better players will win. And then you'll have that from then on the better players playing one another. This gives the players who aren't as good a better chance of getting their wins and learning how to play. You you take your licks against a good player, eventually you'll move your way up. And so that first round match, if you are, well, like I often was, one of the better players, you find yourself somewhere in the top seven boards, maybe. There's a whole row of cafeteria tables going down the going down beside you, but you don't really think about them as cafeteria tables because, well, I was homeschooled. But you see them as the board positions. And all the kids come in and take their place and sit down. And so it begins. You've got a 20-minute timer for you and a 20-minute timer for your opponent with a little, little device there that contains both timers, and you, you push it when you're done with your move so you can keep time. That way the games finish relatively quickly, relatively, without pushing you. And that's how we played. You sit down, and when you're finally in the positions, in the game, everything else vanishes from sight. Everything else is immaterial. Suddenly, the world peels back, and everything is just a—it's just a matter of moves and strategies and pins and forks, tactics applied and strategies engaged in, and well, the great game, the greatest game, I would argue. And you just sit there and and focus, and it's you and the other person in a battle of wits. All you have is exactly what the other person has. One person has to go first, and that's the only, only advantage anyone has. Initiative. And so you play. And you hope that your opponent makes mistakes, and you hope to follow some decent ideas yourself, but the number of iterations of games that you end up playing are are hard to believe. When you're a beginner, you tend to see the same same standard moves. E4, E5, knight F3, knight C6, bishop C4. Well, okay, that's if they're good. If they're not good, it's E4, E5, bishop C4, because they're going to try and scholars mate you, which is silly. Don't do that. Don't teach yourself to do scholars mates. It's stupid. You're assuming your your opponent is a total idiot, and you're not respecting his intelligence. But when you get better, E4, E5, knight F3, knight C6, bishop C4, Probably at this point, knight f6, uh, or perhaps bishop c5. Either way, you're opening it up for a kingside castle. Um, if you're white, probably moving knight c3 or d3 um, to open up the, the queenside minor pieces into the into the play. I, 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 I probably could not keep, keep give you a number of games that started that way. Very standard. And yet, ah, oh, the permutations. Both good and bad that come out of it. It's a phenomenal. Five total rounds in a day. Sometime around round three, you end up breaking for lunch. You know, you get done with the game early and grab a bite to eat. In between rounds, some of the other kids are going to be doing their own thing. They'll find a corner to play their Nintendo DS and Pokemon and play against one another. And I'll find a way to go over there and watch. Or every now and then, you know, we'll actually sit down and 
read a book or if the weather's nice, right, the DSs go away because you'll go out and run outside and you play, play football, not actual football, you know, just throwing a ball around or probably not basketball because the hoops are just too tall. But after every time where you run around, then you head back in. I do believe they had a little, little break for lunch just to make sure everybody got a chance. But, well, after you played a few games, you start to competition starts to heat up, and you start to play somebody who's a little bit more your speed. Well, if you're me, you end up, after three wins in, getting up in those well, top three, top two boards, and the pressure starts to mount. And the, you know, the intensity of the games becomes a little bit more real. And the opponents become a little bit better. And so you sit down at every game with a new new motivation. Because now it's about victory. Now it's about complete and total victory. Not just winning one match, but winning all of them. All five. Because that's 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 the glory. That's the moment that you want. That's the... That is the point of the game. That's the winner of the tournament there. And you go to win. And so you sit down and you play and each game gets more intense. And eventually, eventually the other games maybe finish a little bit faster because you and your opponent are taking a little bit longer to, to play. So the other kids end up silently watching from the sidelines as you're... you're closing out your game and making your moves and so you can just feel the pressure because it's silent who would have thought you could get so many elementary school kids not who are okay relatively low drugs on carbs um but effectively balanced out with the amount of sugar in their system and they're young they don't have cell phones and they're silent they're watching with bated breath to see what happens because they want to know because they're invested too. Every one of these kids has been spending hours over the last year playing chess, investing in it for the sake of victory, and so they know what it means to be on that top board. Even if they've never been there, they know what it takes. And so then you find yourself there in that silence between just you and and your opponent and a board between you. Round five, winner take all. This game decides who gets the nice big trophy and who gets the less big trophy. If you're a part of a bigger team, this also might help your team win a trophy, but, well, we weren't. It was always just us. There was one time where my sister and I single-handedly won a team trophy, and that was honestly really cool. Um, but this wasn't that time. I'm zoned in, trying to keep it going, and and the the stress levels, and you just have to find a way to keep your mind at ease, because it's a it's a it's a physical sport. Like seriously, chess is a physical sport, and you can feel the energy that's just packed up and waiting as you sit there on that board, looking to close everything out. And then you win. And everything unwinds all at once. And you reach your hand across the table and you shake your opponent's hand and you say, good game. And you pick up your pieces. 
before you go celebrate because you don't really need to celebrate because you know what? You know exactly how much work the other guy put in. You know exactly how hard it was for him. So you're not going to rub it in his face. There's respect earned in the game of chess. Respect earned even if you're a terrible player. You've earned respect by sitting down against somebody who's much better than you. And ah, the joys of that, of that feeling when you close everything out, even if you lose. And trust me, I lost more tournaments than I won. Everyone does. Well, yeah, over time. Over the long arc of history, everyone loses more tournaments than they win. And, and that one's a hard pill to swallow. I remember specifically there was this one girl on the other side of the state who just kept, who, who beat me once. And then I kept playing her. And I remember playing her because I made her cry one time because I beat her. And then I learned that, well, that's just the way you have to do it. So it's the game of chess. So if she cries, she cries. <laughs> uh, but she was a good sport later on. You know, once she once she got used to it, um, it's just a game. And you learn it's just a game. But you invest so much that when you finally get the trophies handed out, and the guy who's given the announcements mispronounces your last name because it's got five consonants and one vowel, and he has no idea what it is because he's speaking English. Well, you go up there all the same because, well, they know who you are. You've been there before. And they've mispronounced your name regularly, and so you deal with it. There was one guy who figured it out, and we're very proud of him. He was so, he was so excited when he finally pronounced the name right. He was like, wait, did I say it right? He was like, yeah! Um, because, well... They got called enough. You had to win three games to get a trophy, so realistically it wasn't that hard. But it was a good push. It was a good reminder. It was a good incentive to keep moving, to keep getting better at the game, to keep pushing yourself. Because you'd get that small reward. Well, and then, for us, the long journey home. Where you pack everything up, maybe find a Baskin-Robbins and Get some pistachio almond ice cream. That was always my favorite. Occasionally, right? Not every time. And if you really were belligerent that day, well, there's no way you're getting that. But most days there was a little something at the end to keep us uh, appeased until the return home. Usually there was something cooking. So that long drive home with the sun setting across that open expanse, the the flat plains, and all those familiar sights, leaving into the wilderness, descending into the desert, crossing the river again, and, well, coming back across those apple orchards, rising up the final rise up from the river to the plateau. And then you just know exactly what it feels like to hit home, because it's always the same. So if you're asleep, you wake up because you know, you know the feel of the car as it pulls into the driveway and closes out the trip. And you wake up, you pack everything out, and you get ready for church in the morning because you're, you're making it to church in the morning. It's not even a question. You unpack all the trophies and find a place for them. It was quite something. It was quite something. And I've been fortunate enough this past, well, this past uh, winter to participate in a chess tournament at my work. 
Now, it was a little bit different. They didn't do the normal five-round system because there wasn't an external ranking available, so instead it was a double elimination tournament. And boy, I had fun with that. I played my first round. It was actually a really good opponent, uh, but I beat him. I played my second round, and he wasn't quite as good. Um, but he was still—he almost had me on a couple of spots. I played my third round, and he was even better. It was surprisingly good. Um, and he was very conversational. It was great. Play the third, fourth round. And fourth round, I go up against the guy who's doing this as his passion in life. You know, like I have this podcast, and I am working with the Sons of Solomon. I volunteer at my church. I do a lot of stuff. This guy plays chess, and he plays chess. Chess is his life. He barely beats me. It was great. And played a couple more games in the consolation bracket. And then today, I got another glorious experience. And because we don't have timers, we played for an hour and 45 minutes today. An hour and 45 minutes sitting one screen against another screen with a chessboard in front of me. So I could always glance over and see my opponent, see what, how he's doing over there in Italy. He was a fantastic guy, really great. Uh, he's got a young young son over there. He's going to be training to play chess. And we sat across from one another, and we danced the dance. And it was intense because at double elimination, whoever lo- loses, they're out. Whoever wins gets another crack at the champion. They get another crack at Mr. Chess. E4, C5, Knight F3, D6. It was an interesting combination, interesting setup. I ended up with a really good position because his light square bishop was stuck on, I believe it was D6. I had trapped it behind his own, behind his own, no, it was D7. Yeah, it was miserable. His light square bishop was just useless. And then I let his queen get into my backside. I let her into my back rank, my back court, and she starts causing a little bit of havoc. And I thankfully escaped with only losing one one pawn there. But then my position starts to crumble. He pushed on my king side. And then, oh no, he gets the rook in behind. And we're an hour and 30 minutes into this game, and he gets his rook onto b3 and puts me in check. He's got pawns on a4 and b5, a bishop on c6, a pawn on d5, a pawn on e5, or e6, sorry, e6, and his king on e7. And all I got going for me is a pawn on a3, a pawn on c5, and a pawn on e5. With a bishop on g4, f4, sorry, bishop on f4, and a rook on f2. Rook a3 check, or rook b3 check. King to a5. Rook takes a3. King b6. Bishop e8. Mate in three. Hope you enjoyed me sharing this little piece of my uh, passion with you. It's uh, it's definitely worth your time. 
playing chess. And if you get the chance to play it face-to-face, do it. Do it. I remember those days. I remember spending time with my family in the car rides. I remember how difficult that was. I, I cannot express how grateful I am to my mother for being patient and taking that time with us. And I don't know how she did it. But she did. And year after year we went. And year after year we had to deal with victories and losses and challenges and, well, championships. And there's a big old hunkin' set of trophies right over the mantelpiece now. And it's, it's not that that matters, though. It's the memories. It's the bond that you build, and it's the respect that you learn to give to your opponent. It's the game that matters. And it's, it's learning how to play it and enjoy it, win or lose. That was, that was my childhood, and I, I hope to make that, make that a part of my life whether chess tournaments or just simply taking those lessons and incorporating them in and remembering to love the game. That's all it is anyway. We're all dead men walking. I'll talk to you next week.